Hello, and welcome to another episode of Guidestone's Faith-Based Investing Podcast. I'm David Spica. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at Guidestone, and I'm joined today by Tim Bray, who's the Director of Alternative Investments and a Senior Portfolio Manager. So today, we'd like to talk about how to allocate assets in the current environment. The last time we did this was, uh, I believe, about nine months ago. And since then, a lot of things have changed, right? We've seen inflation fall. However, we've also seen the Fed raise rates very aggressively. In fact, we've seen the largest decline in the money supply, as measured by M2, in history because of the Fed's rate hikes. They're also reducing the balance sheet, which has also caused issues for the money supply. In addition, recently, we've seen a few bank failures. Bond yields, which have risen quite a bit as a result of the Fed's policy, are now falling again as the market starts to anticipate recession. The housing market's showing weakness, but the job market remains very, very tight and too strong for the Fed. So with all that said, I'm going to begin with our macroeconomic views, and then I'm going to turn it over to Tim to talk some about asset allocation and how we'd recommend allocating assets today. So first and foremost, we believe a recession's coming. The market doesn't seem to think that. Um, Credit spreads aren't wide enough yet. The stock market is still priced at uh, about 18 and a half times forward earnings, which is too expensive. But note that earnings are falling. We're about 13% below the peak in earnings. Earnings estimates are falling. The current estimate for the first quarter is a negative 6% year-over-year earnings growth rate. So the current rally doesn't make any sense, and we think equities have some downside ahead of them. It's important to note that when two-year Treasury yields fall below the target Fed funds rate, historically, that's been a sign that a recession's coming, and that's the state we're in today. Bank lending standards are likely to tighten further, given the recent bank failures, and uh, these are things that are obviously could, could increase or, or, or speed up the onset of recession. And importantly, the Fed's credibility is really on the line today. They continue to cite a 2% target for core inflation. We're a long way from that today at roughly 5%, and their credibility is on the line. So we believe they're going to have to keep Fed funds higher for longer than normal. The market seems to think that the Fed's going to cut Fed funds this year. We disagree because it's going to take a long time for inflation to get to that 2% or even a 25 or 3% level. And finally, unemployment's got to rise. The problem we have today is that consumers continue to spend very aggressively, particularly on services. Consumer spending is the key factor in driving inflation. And so for the Fed to reduce consumer spending, they've got to reduce employment. And that means unemployment's got to go up. We've seen some signs of rising uh, rising layoffs, but the unemployment rate remains well below 4%. That's something that the Fed's got an eye on and another reason why we believe Fed funds need to stay higher for longer. So all that said, Tim, why don't you start off by talking about how various asset classes have performed since the downturn began roughly a year ago and what's been the key driver and importantly, what asset allocation strategies have fared the best? Great question, David. First of all, we think it's bonds over equities, uh, and and cash is also uh, no longer trash. There's opportunity in cash as well. We know cash is yielding, you know, between four and four and a half percent. We think bonds are are, are well positioned. We did see a, a material tick lower in yields recently, but we still uh, believe that bonds are going to be a much safer yielding asset class to to hold going into a recession. You want to hold high quality bonds. We know you want to add to duration as you approach that last 
Fed rate hike, which is likely to come in in May, and that's likely to uh, produce nice returns in fixed income. We've already said equities we don't like. We think that they're going to retest the prior lows. Uh, We also like alternatives over traditional assets. Alternatives hold up better in a downturn. Uh, We think that there's long-term tailwinds associated with pockets of private equity and infrastructure that you can invest in. We think hedge funds are, are well positioned to take advantage of volatility, to take advantage of disruptions uh, in, in markets as we continue to have uh, probably additional uh, difficult environments like we saw with the bank, uh, the banking crisis recently that are going to provide opportunities for uh, investors that can go both long and short and take advantage of various discrepancies in markets. Let's talk a little bit more about the bond market. This is an interesting story, I think, today. When you think about what the Fed has done, going back to the financial crisis, when the Fed was flooding the market with liquidity and dropping interest rates to zero and buying bonds, they forced investors out on the risk curve. You had to buy equities. You had to buy risky assets to perform well. We didn't fight the Fed. We did well. Okay, today, what's the Fed doing? The exact opposite. They're ripping liquidity out of the market. They're raising rates. They're reducing the balance sheet. So by not fighting the Fed, we want to own bonds. Is that true? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the market continues to fight the Fed even now. They're pricing in rate cuts for this year. The Fed has signaled they're going to stay restrictive. Um, you know, we think it's heading into recession. You want to be in high-quality bonds. Uh, after a material sell-off, the, the yield there is attractive. And so we wouldn't, um, uh, we'd be cautious about how much duration and credit risk you want to take in bonds today, just because the Fed is not done yet. They've signaled they're not done. Um, as you said, they need to keep rates higher for longer. But that's going to put a lot more pressure on stocks than it is on, on, on bonds. And so uh, re- on a relative basis, we think bonds are much more attractively priced than equities today. What's the best strategy for a bond investor today? Where do you want to be in the yield curve? And how do you want to build a bond portfolio today? Yeah, great question. Uh, we think you know uh, high-quality short-term bonds are attractive. The yield curve is, in, is inverted pretty significantly, so you are you are, you are getting uh, you know a very handsome yield to hang out in the shorter part of the market. We also think that in a diversified portfolio, now is the time to add a little bit bit of duration. Historically, uh, when you look at bond markets as you're approaching the final rate hike. Um, that's about the right time to add uh, to duration. We think we probably got one more uh, uh, rate hike from the Fed coming at the next May meeting. Um, and then they're probably likely done, going to stay restrictive for a while, but th- we may not see future rate hikes. So that's about the time you want to start adding duration. So what usually happens? The Fed's done. They signal they're done. The market starts to the economy, I should say, starts to weaken. We move into recession. What normally happens on the yield curve and how does that affect bond investors? Uh, we've seen this historic inversion in the yield curve thus far. We've started to see that re-steepen. We think that will probably continue as the market anticipates the Fed uh, beginning to uh, lower rates into a recession. Uh, so as, as, the, as the yield curve re-steepens some and that signals recession is coming, uh, you know, we would expect in that environment that credit spreads are going to start widening. Right, we haven't seen the widening of credit spreads. That's the next shoe to fall as credit spreads widen and financial conditions tighten. That's going to be the impetus for the next leg lower in stocks. We believe. Okay, great answer. So, thinking about what you said, 
a little bit bearish on equities, a little bit bullish on bonds. You probably want to increase your bond exposure relative to equities today. So that's the public markets. Let's talk about the private markets. So you're the director of alternative investments here. You've got a lot of expertise when it comes to private market investing. Talk to me about where the opportunities are there, particularly relative to the public markets today. Well, private markets, David, historically have held up always hold up much better than the public side in difficult market environments. So we're quite bullish on alternative investment opportunities relative to that, what we see in traditional markets today. You've seen alternative markets hold up much better than you have uh, the public comparables thus far. And we think that will continue to uh, be be true in the future. Uh, you know, uh, you can look at, at, at hedge funds, just diversifying strategies, in investing in the public markets, um, but with the opportunity to also be, you know, short markets and make relative value bets, we think hedge funds are going to be well positioned to take advantage of volatile markets, market dislocations. Uh, they protected capital pretty well last year relative to public markets down about three percent in aggregate. Um, you know, in Q1 of this year, they're up about three percent, and we think going forward, there's plenty of opportunity to hit uh, positive absolute returns in in this diversifying asset class of hedge funds. We're also particularly bullish about private credit. You know, private credit is a tremendous opportunity to take a senior secured position uh, in a middle market company uh, where you can be in control of the paperwork. You can uh, uh, have, you know, covenant protection. Um, you're in the uh, uh, envious position of, of, of uh, negotiating your own terms. And, uh, and right now, you know, lenders are, are really in the driver's seat uh, because the banks have pulled back. Uh, that's provided an all, a great opportunity for your non-bank lenders to really step in and fill that gap and demand uh, pretty attractive terms. So you're seeing loans written today in the mid-teens um, uh, it, uh, type, type of rate. So very attractive yield um, at the top of the capital structure. And so we really like that. Let's talk a little bit more about commercial real estate. You mentioned the banks and the banks pulling back, and we know that banks are big lenders to commercial real estate developers and builders, and that likely will have an impact there. The commercial real estate market is diverse. You've got multifamily, you've got office, you've got retail, you've got leisure. What do we think about the commercial real estate market today, and are there opportunities there? You know, we're, we're, we're pretty negative about real estate in general, but in particular, there's certain asset classes that we think are going to be uh, very challenged, office, uh, real estate is an asset class that's, that's been challenged that we think it's going to continue to face challenges. Uh, some of that's the work from anywhere environment that we're in today where you simply don't need as much office space as you did before. And there continues to come more office space online that's just not needed, particularly in some of your high profile markets you know, like New York and San Francisco and others. So we're, we're cautious about office space. We think um, in general, we think private real estate probably is going to fall another 10 to 15% in prices. Uh, you've already seen that reflected in the public market. REITs were down 30% last year, uh, haven't changed much from that this year. And so private markets ultimately have got to catch up with some of that um, price action we've seen on the public side. In, in general, private real estate's only been down about 10%. So we think it's got, uh, over the next couple of years, we're going to continue to see deterioration in, in, in prices. Uh, it's just that there hasn't been enough transactions. No one wants to transact at current prices. So as sellers eventually have to, to sell and, and buyers, uh, and they somehow find a, you know, a price in which they can con 
transact, it's going to be at lower and lower levels going forward. So that get, makes us cautious about real estate. It usually takes uh, quite a number of quarters or even years for real estate prices to normalize after you've had a big run up in interest rates like we've had. Does that apply to public REITs as well, down 30%? Is there not value there today? Uh, I think it's selective areas. Uh, there's there's pr- probably some value in, in, in the real estate market. Uh, you know, I, I think multifamily continues to hold up pretty well. Uh, there's still a big gap between you know housing that that we that we need, um, and and what's available in the marketplace. Uh, so we would be uh, selective buyers. Certainly. Um, better opportunity to be liquid in, in public REITs than there is on the private side. We always worry about the left tail and black swans and what we don't know about. Is there anything out there that might be a hidden risk or a potential black swan that investors should be prepared for? Absolutely, David. You know, we've talked about for a while that the Fed hikes until something breaks. We obviously saw that with the the banking crisis just a couple of weeks ago. But there's probably other shoes to fall, uh, you know, whether that's a, a country that defaults, whether the office um, kind of sector in real estate takes down another community bank. You know, community banks do a lot of that real estate lending. So there could be uh, ongoing risks lurking uh, in, in pockets of the, of the banking industry if real estate prices continue to fall materially. So we're cautious about real estate. We don't know what the next shoe to fall is. Um, uh, but we would not be surprised, David, if there are more unforeseen risks that bubble up to the surface after historical rate rise that we've experienced from the Fed. Yeah, you raise a good point because, as we know, Fed rate hikes take at least 12 months to work their way through the economy and to have an impact on the economy and financial assets generally. We just passed the one-year one anniversary of the first rate hike in March of 2022, so there's probably some more pain to be felt going forward. So that said. Is now a time to get even more defensive for investors? Well, we've been uh, cautiously def- we've been cautious. We've been defensive now for for some time, and uh, we have only grown in our conviction about being uh, net uh, cautiously positioned overall. And that's because we think that with this recent banking crisis that you've seen and tightening of conditions it's only made more certain that we're headed into a recession. We've been predicting a recession for some time, but now you have a a situation which you still have high inflation, bank lending is coming down, and you just don't have a soft landing occur uh, in in an environment where that's occurring. So- And equities are still trading at almost 19 times. Yeah, equities have completely ignored the banking crisis, completely ignored the hiking cycle um, uh, in terms of its deterioration on, on earnings that are inevitable. And so, yeah, we think now is still a time to consider taking risk off the table if you haven't um, yet done that in portfolios or remain in a, uh, you know, uh, a risk on position. We would be more diversified, more cautiously positioned today. That said, there will be an opportunity to re-risk at some point. What are the signs investors should look for that it is time to re-risk and what should they do in order to take advantage of those opportunities? Investors need to look for when the Fed actually pivots and begins cutting rates so that the Fed acknowledges uh, that we're, uh, you know, basically headed into recession, which is, we think is what's going to happen, uh, that's going to force the Fed to begin to cut rates. Uh, and so after the Fed cuts rates is when you're going to finally see the market bottom. 
But it's going to take a lot to get the Fed to cut rates. They want to stomp out inflation. They're going to be slow to do so. So you're going to see economic deterioration. You're going to see credit spreads widen. And as credit spreads begin to widen, it is going to uh, put pressure on equities. So uh, we really need to see unemployment go up. We need to see the Fed acknowledge uh, that recession is likely by cutting rates. And it's not until after that that we're going to begin to see uh, the market bottom, begin to see better opportunities to take risk. So we're talking about some time in 2024? Likely so. I mean, the Fed has come out and said multiple times, multiple, uh, both the, the Fed chair and multiple others have said they do not expect rate cuts this year, even with their expectations that unemployment is heading higher. Um, so we do think that the market is likely not going to bottom until later this year or perhaps even into 2024. So we've given a pretty bearish outlook. Obviously, there are reasons to be cautious, reasons to want to not take a lot of risk today. But as Christians, we're told not to worry, right? Worry does not reduce the pain of tomorrow. It only takes away strength we have for today. So as a believer, as a Christian, how would you recommend other believers handle environments like this? Great question, David. There's been a lot of speculation in this market, a lot of buy the dip, a lot of people investing in meme stocks and cryptocurrencies, and a lot of risk taking. There's a lot of money sloshing around in the system. We know the Fed's going to have to suck some of that out. So what I would say is avoid the tendency to want to always just buy the dip, to be speculative in your investing. Now's not the time to, to try to find ways to, creative ways, I guess, to try to make money. Now's the time to be diversified, to be strategic, to stick with your long-term investment plan. If you've overextended taking on risk, cut some of that risk back. Um, remain cautiously invested, but stay invested. We haven't moved to cash. We're long-term investors. And so I would just counsel individuals, we need to keep our faith in the Lord. We need to not fear what tomorrow may bring, but we need to be prepared. So stay strategically allocated, continue to save for the, the future as is prudent to do so. Avoid the temptation to make a quick buck. Well, thanks, Tim. Wonderful commentary. Thanks to everyone for listening to Guidestone's Faith-Based Investing Podcast. Have a good day. As of December 31st, 2022, Guidestone Funds has $15.2 billion in assets, which makes Guidestone Funds the nation's largest faith-based mutual fund family. No other faith-based fund family exceeds Guidestone Funds in asset size. There can be no guarantee that any strategy, risk management or otherwise, will be successful. All investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Diversification does not assure a profit nor protect against loss in a declining market. You should carefully consider the investment objectives, risk, charges, and expenses of the funds before investing. For a copy of the prospectus with this and other information about the funds, call 1-888-GS-FUNDS, 1-888-473-8637, or visit guidestonefunds.com funds to view or download a prospectus. You should read the prospectus carefully before investing. Shares of Guidestone Funds are distributed by Foresight Funds Distributors, LLC, a registered broker-dealer and underwriter of the funds, not an advisor affiliate. Foresight is not a registered investment advisor and does not provide investment advice. Guidestone Capital Management, LLC, a controlled affiliate of Guidestone Financial Resources, provides investment advisory services for the funds.